Welcome one, welcome all to episode two of the Mildly Defensive Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Jordan, here as always with my co-host, Brandon Kroos. Brandon, how are you doing, buddy? Good, good. Good to be back. Second episode. Yeah, we're excited about this. So last week we talked about quarterbacks, you know, came in with the uh, glamour position. Talked about defensive backs as well. This week, we are going to take you through running backs, uh, another big glamour position for fantasy football, as well as defensive linemen. So we'll talk about defensive ends and uh, defensive tackles in that piece. Uh, So we have a, a good show for you today. Once again, we're going to look at expert consensus ranking through fantasy pros, and we'll talk about some players that we are a little higher on than the ECR, as well as some players that we're lower on. Um, we're going to get into the news to start off. Um, so, Brandon, can you walk us through some news pieces uh, that have been out there since our last episode? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is it, with no preseason games, we're going to have to go off of practice reports and things like that. And sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines between the overly optimistic teams and reporters on some of these players. But at are least you, for me. Are you saying that all these things aren't entirely accurate? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Uh, (laughs) But I think for me, the one thing that I'm looking at is the injury reports. Who's, who's getting hurt in practice. And and with this being a a different off season in terms of OTAs and training camps and players not being able to essentially hit each other and, and get their body in shape. You're starting to see this influx of injuries. It's like we saw Mac Wilson go down. I believe with a a knee injury, um, or maybe it was a calf injury. But you see, like, a lot of ACL tears. Artie Burns for the Bears, he just went on IR. Um, So those are kind of the things that I'm looking at, whereas who are the guys who are getting hurt? What is the injury timeline? Obviously, like, I think the big one for fantasy football was Miles Sanders, where they designated it as week-to-week, which typically is not a good thing to see. Uh, especially if you have a a draft coming up here in the next week or so. Um, So those were probably the biggest headlines for me this week, or since we talked last. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Matt. No, I'm right there with you. Um, You know, with the shortened camp and, you know, even with the, um, the restrictions they put in place in terms of physicality that can be used, um, I, I think that, we're going to see a lot of these soft tissue things. So we're already seeing a lot of guys with hamstring injuries that, um, you know, have been kind of missing practice. So these are all notes that we're going to have to keep you all up on, especially as we're getting closer. We're not going to be too worried about little hamstring things right now, you know, still a few weeks out. Um, but an injury like the Miles Sanders injury that Brandon just talked about, uh, anytime you hear the designation week to week, that makes it a little more scary, especially when we only have about three weeks until <laughs> we, we kick yeah. off. Uh, so we'll have to we'll have to see and we'll certainly keep you updated on the Miles Sanders situation. All right. So then let's start with running backs. Um, Brandon, before we get started on the ECR on these, um, let's talk a little bit about strategy with running backs. What strategies are you aware of in terms of how to draft running backs and which ones have you preferred, um, you know, in, in the past? Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about quarterbacks last week and it's funny in fantasy football, you have quarterbacks aren't necessarily as valuable as in real football. Quarterbacks can make or break your team 
in terms of real football, but when it comes to fantasy football, running backs is going to be that position that's going to make or break your season typically. Um, it's very hard as the NFL has moved more towards a running back by committee. They're not get, they're not having those bell cows as much anymore, those guys that are going to get 80% of the carries. Um, so for me, I'm looking at the guys that are going to get high volume, either as uh, receiving or rushing, um, that don't necessarily have a backup that is good enough to challenge them for more carries. Um, if you can find those few guys, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they are all in the first round. I think someone like a Leonard Fournette, it's not a sexy pick, it's not a sexy name, but he's going to get a majority of the work. So if you get him in the third or even the second round, you now have a guy who is going to, you know, is getting 15 carries that week, every week. Um, so for me, that's the guys that I'm looking for, is the guys that are um, not necessarily in a committee that don't have that backup that's going to challenge them much and that's still going to be a part a big part of that offense absolutely i would i would echo all of those sentiments um there's some various strategies out there you know that i think folks employ um you know one of the ones that i think was kind of highly touted 10 years ago or so is the zero running back strategy Mm -hmm. Uh, i can say personally that i've never used that before um the philosophy behind it essentially is that you don't draft a running back you know for like the first six or seven rounds um with the idea that you know a lot of running backs get hurt there's a lot of variability at the position and that if you load up on you know some kind of high upside options at the back end that the numbers will potentially work out in your favor um for me, you'd have to have a tremendous amount of intestinal fortitude uh, to go forward with a strategy like that, uh, because if it doesn't work, I feel like you know it would backfire tremendously. Uh, you know, it, it, for a strategy like that, you're looking at really loading up at quarterback, tight end, wide receiver, and then you know, hoping that the math plays out in your favor. Um, for that reason, I've I've never. Um, had the fortitude to go with that kind of a strategy before. Um, but there have been some years, you know, based on how the draft board falls out that I've been a little bit more heavy at wide receiver and some of these other positions in the beginning and lighter on running back, uh, but never intentionally and never to the point that I hadn't taken one, you know, for, for kind of six or seven rounds to start things out. So with with that in mind, let's get into um, what Fantasy Pros has for the ECR. So the um, the ECR that we're going to list off here is for half point PPR leagues, um, which I think right now is kind of the standard out there. So keep in mind that this list fluctuates if you go to either a standard league where running backs aren't awarded any points for a reception or full PPR where, you know, some of your Austin Ecklers of the world that catch a lot of passes are going to be a little bit more valuable when you crank it up to a full point. Uh, So once again, half point PPR, um, the number one overall running back, of course, is Christian McCaffrey, uh, followed by Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Joe Mixon at number eight, Miles Sanders at 9, who we talked about earlier, Kenyon Drake at 10, Nick Chubb, and then rounding out the RB1s, Josh Jacobs at number 12. So 
In terms of starting with folks that we're a little bit higher on, I'm actually going to start with one of the names that's on that list, and that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, now, you might be wondering, well, Matt, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the running back seven for ECR. How could you possibly be higher on a rookie than the ECR? I'm probably right about in line with the ECR, but the general public still has Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the running back 12. Um, now, that's obviously been coming up since the news of Damian Williams opting out. Um, but I do think that the general public is still a little hesitant on selecting a rookie that high. Um, I want to give you some confidence in selecting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire high um, in the draft. Since 2004, Andy Reid's running backs have finished in the top eight in fantasy points per game 75% of the time. Uh, so let that sink in. That's 16 years, so that is not a small sample. 75% of 16 years, Andy Reid has had a top eight fantasy running back per game. Now, I have to say per game because there was a few years in there. Some of the running backs we're talking about here, Brian Westbrook, uh, someone I know I had on a lot of teams uh, when Brandon and I first started playing fantasy football, Shady McCoy, who I know Brandon had on certainly a few teams, um, Jamal Charles, Kareem Hunt more recently. Um, there was a few years there where Westbrook, uh, Shady, and Jamal Charles were banged up for a few games. So their end-of-year finish um, was outside of the top eight, but their per-game finish was within the top eight running backs. I don't see any reason why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire cannot just add to that glorious list of Andy Reid running backs finishing in the top eight. Uh, Reid himself has already come out and said that he thinks that Clyde edwards Edwards Hilaire is more talented than Brian Westbrook, which is very high praise um, as one of the great running backs that that Reed started his career with. Um, and, and just from me watching him as someone that can run between the tackles, something that Andy Reed likes, and as someone that basically can run, run any route on the root tree, um, as evidenced um, in the epic LSU offense of last year. Um, this is someone that I think can be absolutely dynamic in the Kansas City offense. And on top of that, I can't imagine any week, barring tremendous injury or you know bad COVID luck, that the defense is ever going to be coming into the game and keying in on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire when you have Travis Kelsey, Pat Mahomes, um, obviously a, a wide bevy, including Tyreek Hill of receiving threats out there. I mean, it, you're going to be probably looking at, generally speaking, you know, seven, eight-man boxes that Hilaire is going to be looking at. And oftentimes, because of how creative Andy Reid is, Edwards Hilaire is going to be coming out of the backfield against some poor linebacker that's going to have absolutely no prayer of stopping him. And, <laughs> and Mahomes is going to hit him. Um, I mean, it's going to be a beautiful thing to watch. I, I can't wait to watch this offense. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely a great pick. When I'm looking at like the top running backs, I feel like he's the last slam dunk guaranteed. He's going to be one of the top running backs yeah, in fantasy football this year. After that, you start to get into some questions. But Joe Mixon, how's his offensive line? Miles Sanders, we obviously talked about the injury. Like To me, it just feels like there's very few guarantees in fantasy football he feels like one of those guarantees this year. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, what's a what's a running back that you're a little higher on than the ECR, Brandon? 
So for me, the first one that jumped out is Melvin Gordon, who's um, all the way down at number uh, 19. Um, I know he's going from the Chargers. He's now on the Broncos. I know that they still do have Philip Lindsay. I don't think Philip Lindsay's going to be much of a factor in this offense. And one of the reasons is Pat Shermer is now the offensive coordinator there. Pat Shermer likes to go with one running back. I mean, you saw that, obviously, with the Giants, with Saquon. Um, the other thing that I really... Talking about that offense, obviously, you have a young quarterback in Drew Locke. You have incredible wide receivers with Sutton um, and some of the rookies they drafted. But the best thing for a young quarterback is a strong running game. And for me, Melvin Gordon just feels like he's going to vault himself back up into that discussion of being an RB1 this year, and he's going to get a ton of work in that offense for the Broncos. I think it's very possible. Um, you know, I I feel like the fear that people have out there is that, you know, Philip Lindsay, 2,000-yard years already, you know, in two years for his career. Royce Freeman is still there. Um I don't know what he's going to do, but he's at least theoretically still on the roster. Um, you know, is this going to be some sort of a messy timeshare? And I feel like that's probably what has suppressed the value of Melvin Gordon. Um, what What do you think about that? I, I, and, and for me, I just, I don't, the only reason I say that it's not, and the only reason why I'm not concerned about Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon was a first round running back. Philip Lindsay was an undrafted running back when you just compare the talents of the two the physical gifts that the two have melvin gordon hands down is by far the more physically gifted running back and now you're putting him in in this offense with a scheme that pat Shermer likes to run i think melvin gordon's going to be a bell cow and maybe i'm going out on a limb here and maybe it is a 50 50 split but for me it just feels like you don't go out and sign a guy to that contract as a free agent and not expect him to use him as a featured back. It just, to me, it's like I'm trying to read between the lines here and what the Broncos did, why they got him, the pieces now around him. It, it just makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think for me with Melvin Gordon, a lot of it is going to come down to, you know, what are the first couple rounds of my draft look like? Because you can yeah. get Melvin Gordon in the third round mm -hmm. and, you know, if, so if you only take one running back in the first two rounds and Melvin Gordon's sitting there as your running back too, that's a pretty sweet deal. Um, mm -hmm. And I would definitely have more confidence in Melvin Gordon than some of the other guys going around him. Yep. Cool. Can you give us another name? Because I think there's another name you probably want to talk about that's right around where Melvin Gordon is as well. Yeah. Uh, the other one that jumped out to me was uh, James Conner at 18. I mean, last year – the Steelers' offense was a mess. When you lose Big Ben and you don't have a good quarterback, again, this comes back to real football, everything else falls apart. Um, so I'm not putting too much stock into the performance last year for James Conner. Everything that, again, trying to read between the lines with the overly optimistic reporters, everyone says that Big Ben looks good, he looks strong, He's got good zip on his ball. So I feel like the Steelers' offense is ready to pick back up to where they were in 2018. And going back to 2018, James Conner had 973 rushing yards, 12 touchdowns. He 
had 55 receptions. I mean, he had uh, almost 1,500 yards from scrimmage. He's going to be that featured back in this offense. And again, we can talk about the Benny Snells and, and um, I think Anthony McFarlane, the, the rookie, was who they drafted. James Conner is still the, the most talented running back in that backfield. And, and I feel like he, as long as he's healthy, he's going to get the majority of that work. Which is a challenging thing when you are made of glass. And it, it sometimes yeah. appears that James Conner is made of glass. Uh, but I completely agree with you. I mean, I think if, if you could tell me that James Conner plays 16 games, I mean, there's there's no way he's not a running back one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely going to finish there. The, the challenge being, it seems like this man can't possibly avoid getting hurt, which I th- you think is why he is where he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think w- w- the first two running backs that I listed are guys that I think you can get as an RB2 that provides RB1 value. And I think that's why looking at this, again, I'm not going out and drafting them as an RB1, but if I get a Alvin Kamara or someone like that in the first round, second round I get a top wide receiver, and now it's coming back on the third, and Melvin Gordon and James Conner are sitting there, I'm jumping all over them. Like Those are easy picks for me to make. Absolutely. So an, another name that I have um, that's a little higher up the food chain here that I want to give people confidence to draft is Kenyon Drake. I think the confidence piece here is important because there was a little bit of hype when Kenyon Drake came out of Alabama to Miami, you know, about the the incredible talent, um, you know, some of the um, ability, you know, to kind of break a game with long plays. And then he went into an Adam Gase led um, disaster of an offense in Miami. <laughs> seemed like Gase never liked him. Uh, he never seemed to be able to find himself out of the doghouse. In the spurts he played, he was very good. Um, but for whatever reason, they were only ever spurts. Um, you know, and, and other far lesser talents or far older players. <laughs> Looking at you, Frank Orr. Um, we're, we're getting a lot of the carries while he was there. He gets traded last year, halfway through the year, to Arizona. And from week nine, when he got traded to Arizona, he was the running back four. I don't know if people realize that. Um, he was a top six running back from week nine on when he got traded to Arizona and started playing. I'm not guaranteeing he is going to finish this year as the running back four. There's certainly still risk here. Um, he's never had a, a, a full load as like the bell cow running back. Um, there's not necessarily a guarantee that Arizona makes him the bell cow running back, but, and this goes along with what Brandon was talking about with Melvin Gordon, the transition tag that Kenyon Drake is on is very lucrative for a running back. They're paying him a lot of money. They traded away David Johnson. Um, so they clearly feel very confident that Drake can be the guy and because it's a one-year deal, there's all the incentive in the world for Arizona to just give him the rock and see what they have. And then if it doesn't work out, they move on from him next year. I'm very confident that Kenyon Drake is going to get a lot of work. And in, in this explosive Arizona offense, he's already proven that he can be a top six commodity. Um, he's going right now as the ECR running back 10. His ADP is about the same. I think that you're looking at a potential top six running back here. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't argue. I think, again, that Cardinals offense has a lot of potential. I'm a little bit more bullish on it than you are. I just, for me, I'd like to see a second year with Cliff King, Kingsbury as the coach. I, NFL, you can, defense coordinators learn very quickly what you do and, and how to beat you. Um, so I'd like to see a second year, but yeah. I mean, Kenyon Drake is, is certainly a talented running back, and I think, I don't know what it is. I think Adam Gase just hates running backs. Um, you saw it with Love Bell last year with the Jets, and now the Jets go and add Frank Gore, so Love Bell, at least for me, has no value. But, um, I, yeah, I think that Kenny Drake's not a bad pick. Again, this is a guy that I think you can get as maybe an RB2 that's going to give you RB1 value. Well, now that you brought up Lev Bell, <laughs> would you like to play a game? Let's go. All right. So the third running back that I want to talk about that I'm a little higher on than ECR is David Montgomery. So we're going to play a little game called David Montgomery or Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> so David Montgomery is the ECR running back 24, uh, ADP of 26, running back 26. Uh, Lev Bell is a little ahead of him. Uh, he's the ECR running back 20. Um, so this is, once again, uh, like last week, these are stats from last year. Um, so you'll be picking which running back you think was higher in these stats um, from 2019. Okay. Carries. Who had more carries in 2019, David Montgomery or Lev Bell? David Montgomery. So this one's close. It was actually Lev Bell. Um, <sighs> He had 245 carries. Montgomery had 242. Uh, okay. So technically, Montgomery played all 16 games. But those of you that remember week one, he didn't really play. He got like a few carries. Um, and they did the rookie thing where they don't play a rookie week one, which was silly. Um, so essentially, Montgomery and Lev Bell both played 15 games last year um, mm -hmm. is, is really what it boils down to. Yards. Who had more yards on the ground? Lev Bell or David Montgomery? I would say David Montgomery. This one was no contest. David Montgomery had 889 yards. Yeah. Lev Bell had a full 100 yards less on three more carries. Um, yep. Lev Bell had an absolutely atrocious 3.2 yards per carry, um, which if I remember correctly, for running backs with more than 200 carries, was one of the worst ever. Um, <laughs> Not last year, ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> which, is, which is very bad. Um, David Montgomery was not great. 3.7 is nothing to write home about, um, but it was tremendously better than Love Bell. Who had more rushing touchdowns? I'm going to say Montgomery. He did. This was double. Uh, Montgomery had six wow. touchdowns on the ground. Love Bell had three, which is nearly impossible. Um <laughs> 245 carries to only score three touchdowns just feels impossible, right? Um, yeah. Now, of course, there's there's no contest. Lev Bell had uh, 66 catches to yeah. Montgomery's 25. So I understand that for a half PPR league, that's where the value is with Lev Bell is those catches. Um, my, my concern here comes from what you just talked about with Frank Gore. Um, so we've seen this everywhere that Frank Gore has been. Um, same thing with Buffalo last year and Devin Singletary um, earlier with Kenyon Drake in Miami. Um, for whatever reason, 
coaches love the consistency that is Frank Gore, um, you know, running into a linebacker and falling down. Um, they, they absolutely love that. And I, I don't think that Frank Gore was brought into New York to just sit on the bench and watch Lev Bell play. He's going to be brought into the game and he's going to play. Yeah. Do I think that that's going to eat into the reception work for Lev Bell? No, but I don't think that there's any chance Lev Bell gets 245 carries again. Um, I think Frank Gore eats into that work. Um, when you're in an already inept offense that didn't get any better in the off season, and now all of a sudden you're not going to get the same bell cow work. Um, I just, I don't see why you would want Lev Bell over Montgomery. Um, so my point being here and, and why I'm higher than Mo- on Montgomery, um, I think that this is the floor for him, you know, so 242 carries yeah. for 889 yards, six touchdowns, 25 catches. I don't think it can possibly get worse than that for Montgomery. He's only going up. Um, so, you know, I, do I think that this is a sexy pick? No. Um, but I think in particular, if you can get Montgomery as your running back three, I mean, I'd even be okay with him as my two. But in a lot of cases, you can get this guy as your running back three, which I feel like is stealing. Um, with that amount of volume and an opportunity, you know, that if things open up a little bit and he all of a sudden gets up to that, you know, four yards per carry, 4.3 yards per carry, if the Bears offense improves, um, you could be looking at an absolute steal. Yeah, no, I, I think that's certainly a great pick. I think last year at this time, David Montgomery was the quote-unquote sleeper. I think everyone was jumping all over him to go grab him. Um, I'm actually surprised to hear that he had over 800 rushing yards. I thought that just based on how people were talking about him, it would be significantly lower than that. Um, and, yeah, I can't disagree with the fact that I think that that is his floor. Um so even with Tariq Cohen still there, I think I think this is a good pick. I like this. Yeah, we're always going to be a fan here of drafting somebody at their floor rather than their ceiling. I feel like with Montgomery, you're drafting him at his floor, um, yeah. which is great. I'm certainly not trying to suggest that I think David Montgomery is going to be a top six running back, but I don't think that he could possibly finish any less barring injury um, than where you're drafting him, which is really good value. Yep. Brandon, do you have one more running back that you're a little higher on than ECR? So I am going deep, 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 deep. I'm going with Bryce Love, who is currently 71. And this is the reason why I'm going with Bryce Love. Obviously, Darius Geis is no longer in that backfield. And everyone is in love with Antonio Gibson. I think he's the flashy, quote-unquote, sleeper pick. I would take Bryce Love, especially like if he's my last pick or my last couple of picks, I'm taking him all day over Antonio Gibson. And this is why. Antonio Gibson's trying to still learn the running back position. He is very, very raw. I think he's got a lot of physical talents, but you're coming into an offseason where there was no OTAs, training camp is limited, preseason is limited. I think a lot of NFL teams are going to start to rely on the guys who have more experience. Bryce Love has just a little bit more experience being in the NFL one more year than Gibson. I know Adrian Peterson's still there, and Adrian Peterson's still going to get some of the work. But let's not forget that Bryce Love, if this is, I got to look up the exact year, um, 2000, 2017, he was 
he was in the Heisman discussion. I don't think he won the Heisman that year, but he was in that discussion. I mean, you look at his numbers at college, over 2,000 rushing yards, over 8.1 yards per carry, 19 total touchdowns. It feels like he's that one guy that can just rock it up into a potential flex or even an RB2 based on what Washington has in that backfield. I feel like this could be the quote-unquote steal of the draft where you look back next year, you're looking back at this year's draft, and you're like, man, I looked really smart taking Bryce Love with my last pick. Um, so that's that's for me. That's the one guy that really jumped out if you're looking very, very deep for a running back. Yeah, I like this one. I, I think a lot of this is going to be, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, there's not a lot of tremendously reliable information coming out of camps this year uh, because of the nature of what camps look like. This would be one of those where it'd be really nice to see, you know, is he getting first team reps? How does he look? Does he look explosive? Uh, I think the concerns folks had about him, you know, is that, like you said, he had that amazing year and then he had a pretty bad year his last year. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, he had a kind of a catastrophic injury, um, you know, so the the concerns about is he is he that same player that had all that potential years ago if that guy is still there then yeah this could be an absolute steal uh and the great thing here is you know if you take a flyer on bryce love it's going to be in the last round of your draft if it doesn't work out you just cut him and move on um and that might not be the case with antonio gibson anymore um like you said because of the helium that he's getting at this point um, it, it seems unlikely to me that you'd be able to get Antonio Gibson in the last round of your draft. Um, and if you're going to have to, you know, invest significantly higher capital, why not take a shot at someone mm-hmm. like a Bryce Love? Yep. And just, I looked it up. So Bryce Love finished second in the Heisman voting in 2017. Baker Mayfield was number one. Do you know who number three and four was? I don't. Lamar Jackson and Saquon Barkley. Hmm. Two little known players. <laughs> they haven't done anything recently. <laughs> That's hysterical. So that must have been was that the year that um the year after Lamar Jackson won the Heisman? Uh I believe so. Yeah. I think didn't he win it in twenty sixteen? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Because there's that kind of weird, like, when a guy wins the Heisman, even if he's phenomenal the next year. like Yeah, they, 2016. They expect him to, like, raise his stats, like, an extra 25% to be in consideration again. Yep, um, yep. Because I, I remember thinking, like, this guy is still absolutely incredible. Why, why aren't people paying attention yeah. to him? Um, I think Lamar Jackson has proven that people probably should have paid a little bit more attention. Cool. Um, well, as always, on the flip side, we now have to look at people that we are a little bit lower on in the ECR. Uh, so I'm going to start with one that might surprise people a little bit, but I'll explain it. Um, I'm a little lower on Ezekiel Elliott. Um, the reason I'm lower on Zeke has nothing to do with the talent and nothing to do with the situation. Um, it's actually, to me, like the the potential upside so when Zeke first came out, you know, the offense was built fully around him. Um, they had that phenomenal offensive line and, you know, they, they were making that transition um, over to Dak and the offense was all about just feeding the rock to Zeke. Um, and a few years ago, they even got to the point where they were throwing him a lot of passes. 
Um, and, you know, he started actually catching a lot of passes and, you know, rushing over 250 times. Last year, I think we saw a very definitive shift in that offense. Um, with Kellen Moore doing the play calling, he's back for another year doing the play calling. And Dak being in, you know, kind of a constant contract year purgatory in Dallas. Um, <laughs> Dak, I think, is bent on proving that he's the man and that he's worth $40 million a year. Uh, and he proved it last year. He was incredible. Um, he threw more than he ever has. He threw for a tremendous amount of yardage. He was very efficient. Uh, he carried that offense. And Zeke was fine. Um, you know, Zeke was a kind of middle-tier RB1. Um, he never had blow-up weeks last year, which was really surprising, but I know this is someone that had Zeke in a lot of leagues. Um but he never hurt you either. Zeke was just always there. He was always an RB1 or an RB2. Um, I think that's what you're going to get again. Um, so with that being said, would I be willing to draft Zeke where he's going, which is basically the third running back off the board? I would, but um, the caveat is you're taking a safe pick. Um, so really this depends on your strategy. I think if you want like a locked and loaded surefire running back one, Zeke is one of the best probably outside of Christian McCaffrey that you're going to get. There's really not going to be a whole lot of wiggle there for Zeke. Um, but I'm also pretty confident that at running back three, you're probably going to get the overall running back six. I, I think that that's likely where Zeke is going to finish just like this past year. Um, someone's going to vault over him. I just can't tell you who those running backs are going to be. Um, but I think with Dak in another contract year and with um, the, the shift of this offense, he's not the focal point anymore. He doesn't catch a lot of passes anymore. Um, and I think you're going to be kind of relying on his efficiency around the goal line, which is still incredible. Um, he's going to be great, but he's not going to be the running back three. It's a very aggressive uh, pick there, but I mean, I can, I can understand those points. So Brandon, what's a running back that you're a little lower on than the ECR? So for me, the first one that jumps out is Nick Chubb, who is currently at number 11. Um, primarily for me, the, re the biggest reason that I'm not as high on him is the Browns do have Kareem Hunt, who is a very good running back. Um, and one of the things that when you look at Nick Chubb's production, and for me, again, I look at how often these guys are on the field is one of the big things. Obviously, like if you're on the field more, you're going to get more opportunities. Nick Chubb, over the first eight games last year, every single game he was on the field for 60% or more of the offensive snaps. Kareem Hunt came back. He played the final eight games of the year. The last eight games of the year, there was four games where Nick Chubb had 60% or fewer offensive snap, snaps. So that's very concerning to me. I think that this is going towards a timeshare. This is going towards a 50-50 split. And considering the fact that he is right now essentially being drafted like a first-round pick, I'm very hesitant to invest that kind of capital on a guy that I don't know is going to be on the field a majority of the time. So for me, I think Nick Chubb is probably the one that I'm um, not as um, – I probably will stay away from him, essentially, where he's getting drafted. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. Th that situation is going to be so interesting with 
uh, with those two great running backs. There's going to be a lot of volume, you know, based on what happened in Minnesota last year. Um, you'd think that there's likely going to be a tremendous amount of running volume, um, which means it, it's possible to sustain both Chubb and Hunt. Um, but mm-hmm. I completely understand where you're coming from that, you know, it, it makes you a little queasy to have Nick Chubb as your, your running back one. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm not completely sure what the Browns offense is going to look like. Uh, with new head coach and new offensive scheme. I mean, you still have Baker. You still got OBJ. You still got Jarvis Landry. You got Austin Hooper now. Like, the way the offense can go, it can go any kind of way. It can be run heavy. It can be pass heavy. It can change week to week. Um, And looking at this team, like, I feel like Kareem Hunt fits that better than Nick Chubb. And so... I would not be surprised if at the end of this year, Kareem Hunt has more touches than Nick Chubb. It's certainly possible, especially depending on what game script looks like there. You'd think that if they end up trailing in a lot of games, I I could absolutely see that. All right. I think we should each do one more running back, Brandon, and then we'll we'll move to the DLs. So um, who's one more running back that you are lower on than ECR? Yeah, I think the other one that jumps out to me is Devin Singletary. Um, and let me just make sure I have the, the number right here. He's number 25. Um, the reason I'm a little concerned about Devin Singletary, I think he's kind of being um, labeled as that guy that can make that huge jump from year one to year two. I've seen some ridiculous things there. He's supposedly the next Christian McCaffrey, which I'm like that people shouldn't even say something like that. Um <laughs> Like, that's just insane. And the reason they're trying to make that connection is last year with the Bills offense, he got a lot of the rushing attempts. He also got receptions. Like, you can try to view him as that dual threat running back. My concern is, A, they got Zach Moss in the third round. Again, a team doesn't invest that kind of capital and use him as a backup. This is becoming a 50-50 split. This is becoming a committee, whether people want to accept it or not. Um, the other thing that really jumps out to me is he's not a great pass catcher. Zach Moss is a better pass catcher than Devin Singletary out of the backfield. Last year, he had 41 targets. He had 29 receptions, but he also had like four drops, which I think was near the top among running backs. Zach Moss is going to keep eating into everything that Devin Singletary does well. And oh, by the way, Zach Moss is going to be the running back on the goal line. Like... Devin Singletary, it just, I think he's, if you draft him and expect to get what you did as a rookie, then that's fine. If you expect, if you draft him and expect him to be over a thousand yard rusher, you're going to be severely disappointed. So I'm just very concerned about like drafting Devin Singletary where people are drafting him. Yeah, I hear you on that. You know, and and with that in mind, I think that's also a, a kind of a, a tip of the cap there for people to take a stronger look at Zach Moss because uh, I think he's being severely undervalued toward the end of drafts. Yeah, someone that for a a good Bills offense could get a lot of goal line work as you as you mentioned. Oh yeah, I mean, give me Zach Moss four or five rounds later. Like, I would be happy to take Zach Moss because again. I think he has the higher upside, which is kind of crazy to say, but like Zach Moss has the higher upside than Devin Singletary right now, and you're getting him later in drafts. 
Yeah, I think that's a great one. So I'm going to lump two players in together that I'm a little lower on and because it's for the same reason. Uh, Alvin Kamara and Chris Carson. So I know Kamara is another aggressive one. Um, I've now targeted the ECR running back three <laughs> and four. Um, this one's very different than Zeke, though. Um, I would feel comfortable drafting Zeke third overall um, with the understanding that I'm probably drafting the running back six. With Kamara, I think that the range of outcomes is incredible. Um, you know, you could be looking at the overall running back one with Kamara. That's certainly not out of his range of outcomes. You could be looking at exactly what you got last year, which isn't anything terrible, but anyone that drafted Kamara last year would tell you that it wasn't a fun ride. Um, <laughs> no. With the, the injury and then coming off of the injury and being wholly ineffective, um, he had stretches where he looked like Alvin Kamara and he was great. There were long stretches where he was either out of your lineup or in your lineup and worse, um, not playable in your lineup. Um, I'm worried that we could be going back to that place again with Kamara. There's just a high risk. Um, just this offseason, Kamara has come out and basically said that he had all the injuries last year. Um, it seemed like essentially his entire body was hurt. Um, now, kudos to him for playing through it. Um, but the playing through it piece doesn't help your fantasy lineup. Um, this is similar to Saquon where he played through a high ankle injury. Um, and, you know, similarly to Kamara, neither of them were even remotely effective when they came back. Um, it seems like Sean Payton knows what he has with Alvin Kamara. He knows that this is not a workhorse back. That's why Latavius Murray's there. He hasn't gone anywhere. Um, to me, you're drafting Alvin Kamara at his likely ceiling. And that's terrifying for me. Um, because if, if he plays 16, if he's the hyper-efficient, ultra-talented receiving running back that he can be, he will absolutely deliver on what you're drafting. Um, but if he gets hurt, and he has shown certainly the last couple of years a propensity to get hurt at his size, he's not going to deliver as the running back four, and you might have the same ride that you had last year. As a result, unless Kamara slips in drafts, I'm not going to have any shares this year. Uh, Carson's in the same place. Um, he's coming off of a hip injury. Um, he has the added concern of he fumbles, and when he fumbles, he gets into Pete Carroll's doghouse. Um, and then, you know, you just never know what might happen there. Um, I was on the Chris Carson uh, train um, on a number of teams last year, and it was madden uh, maddeningly frustrating when Carson would fumble in the first quarter, get benched, and then you would have an absolute dud of a week from him. Um, and, and that's a pretty scary thing to have in your lineup. Carson's got a much lower draft cost, so I may be willing to invest in Carson because if it goes well, he can be incredible. Um but for both of them, there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, and just to add on to the Carson one, they also did um, sign Carlos Hyde this year. So now you actually have a decent running back that can carry the load outside of outside of Penny. So Pete Carroll may be even more willing to just bench Carson wherever he sees fit. So yeah, I think those are probably two good picks there. Cool. So let's move on to defensive linemen. <laughs> So this is a fun one. Um, defensive linemen, uh, you know, there's a there's a movement right now moving toward um, true position. And, you know, without going too deep into this, the idea being that because of all the different alignments that teams have, um, we know that there's certain players that play linebacker, they're off-ball players, they're there for run support, they're there to cover running backs. 
there's certain guys that play, you know, either in a two-point stance or with their hand in the dirt, and they defend the run as a lineman or they rush the passer. Um, because of the weird 3-4 and 4-3 schemes and where people line up, depending on what platform you're on, some players could be a defensive lineman in some platforms and a linebacker in others. Um, so Brandon and I would recommend to you all that if you're doing defensive players, always keep an eye based on your platform um, on what a player is ranked as. Because if you have a defensive lineman that gets listed as a linebacker, that essentially nerfs their value. Um, it's really, really hard for a defensive lineman to compete with linebackers because they're just not going to get the tackle numbers, generally speaking, um, which means they would have to have incredible sack numbers to be a viable linebacker, you know, start. Um, so that's just kind of a, a word of advice um, to take a look at. Uh, we're going to be talking about folks that based on what position they really play on their team are guys that we think should be defensive linemen. Um but you know, keep that in mind as you're looking. So, Brandon, when you're looking at d drafting defensive linemen, uh, what are some of the tips that you can give the listeners on what to look for? Yeah, I mean, you kind of already touched on it, but knowing the defensive scheme that these players are playing in is critical. Between a four-three and a three-four, like when you have a D end in a three-four, he's more of a space eater, more of a run, like setting the edge. Whereas a four-three defensive end, he's rushing the quarterback he's getting you those sacks even looking at defensive tackles like there's very different responsibilities and roles for these defensive tackles where you have some guys that are just a star Latulier who is just he's just there to be there and take up blockers where you have like a Koran Short or someone else who's penetrating and like getting after the quarterback um so you certainly will get more of an advantage if you understand the roles and the responsibilities of some of these players um, so that's typically what I'm looking at I'm looking when I'm looking at defensive line I want those four three um, defensive linemen I think those guys provide a lot more value than a three four um, and again you're looking at the guys that are penetrating that are getting those sacks that are getting those tackles for losses some leagues do tackle for losses for bonus points so knowing your league scoring system is also very important and that's for any position really um but for me at least i'm looking i'm starting with a 4-3 defensive lineman and then i'm i'm going from there absolutely um and like brandon said with the scoring system that's important um so i think that the perfect example in thinking about a scoring system is yannick Ngakwe. Uh, so yannick Ngakwe, since he entered the nfl has been an absolute sack machine um, you know, one of the, the top four guys since he entered and getting sacks. Uh, but that's like the sole thing he does on the field. He's not interested in tackling running backs. Um, he just wants to hit the quarterback <laughs> at, at any yeah. possible time that he can. Um, so if you have a league that awards <clears throat> a lot of points for sacks, Yannick Ngakwe is someone that's going to be incredible. Um, most leagues, you know, Sacks will, will certainly give you a bump, but you still need some tackle production there. Um, and if you need tackle production, you know, someone like a Jason Pierre-Paul, someone like a Sam Hubbard, um, J.J. Watt, you know, these guys that are more complete defensive ends that, that not only get after the passer and get those sack numbers, um, but set the edge really well and tackle the running back. Um, these are the guys that, you know, for a more balanced kind of standard league, you're going to want to look at because you need that baseline of tackles. 
Otherwise, you're hoping for a two-sack week, and if you don't get it, you're very disappointed. All right, so we're going to um, once again go into some folks that we are higher on in the ECR and lower on. I'll start by giving you the DL1s. Um, so first we have Daniil Hunter, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, who of course is a defensive tackle, Nick Bosa, J.J. Watt, Cam Jordan, Cam Hayward at number eight, Carlos Dunlap at number nine, Melvin Ingram at 10, DeForest Buckner at 11, and Sam Hubbard at 12. So I'll start it off with someone that I'm a little bit higher on than the ECR. Um, I'm higher on Demarcus Lawrence. So I think Demarcus Lawrence was ECR player. Um, he was just outside of the top 12. Um, and I think that people are just forgetting about Demarcus Lawrence. He had an off year last year. He only had five sacks, but the two years before that, he had 10 plus sacks. Um, and a player that I know you like that you'll probably talk about next, Everson Griffin just got signed to Dallas. Mm -hmm. Um, does that mean that Demarcus Lawrence is going to stop seeing double teams? Not necessarily, but there is going to be someone that's going to create a lot of attention on the other side of the football. Now, on top of that, Dallas, um, as we mentioned earlier, when we were talking about Dak, Dallas is going to be scoring a lot of points. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of games this year where teams are going to get down early and they're going to be throwing a lot. Um, in situations like that, that's usually going to be very positive for defensive ends. It's going to give them more opportunities to get after the quarterback and get sacks. I like Demarcus Lawrence a lot this year. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it. I'm going to go with his uh, new teammate, Everson Griffin. I think just the Cowboys' defensive line is going to provide a lot of value here. I think Everson Griffin is at 40 right now. Um, and I know he's going, he previously played with the Vikings, so this is a new scheme for him. Um, I mean, he had eight or more sacks five out of the last six years. He had 40 or more total tackles over that same stretch. And I think Everson Griffin has shown that he can be a very good defensive end playing on the other side of another good defensive end. Um, so I think that, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence is someone who's going to provide you more upside. But at least for me, like, I'm going to go with someone like an Everson Griffin who I can get later who may provide similar value. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that both of those defensive ends um, could be good values. Yep. So, Brandon, who's another player that you're a little higher on than ECR? I think me and you have the uh, this player as well, but I'm going to go with Chase Young. I mean, he right now he's 26 um, on the ECR, and I, I know he's a rookie, and sometimes you shy away from rookies, especially with everything that's gone on this year. The reason I'm not shying away from him is – he looks very good. And again, you want to try to look through the noise of the reporters and teams like stuff and stuff like that. But I saw a video of him going up against an offensive lineman and he just he looks like a man among boys. And and that's amazing to say for someone who's coming into the league for the first time. He did not look overmatched. He looked strong. And you put him in Ron Rivera's defense, who's produced people like Julius Peppers. Like, this feels like the second coming of Julius Peppers, and it's like, that's certainly high praise, but I feel like Chase Young can come in right away and give you 12 sacks his rookie year. Like, it just, he just feels like it's that rookie that's going to skyrocket to the top that next year, 
you're going to be talking in that tier one with the Nick Bosa's, the Miles Garrett, those kind of players. So I think it's interesting that you brought up Nick Bosa because in, in recent years here, Ohio State has basically become defensive end to you. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, they've been an absolute just machine pumping out these incredible defensive ends. Started with Joey Bosa a number of years back, then Nick Bosa, and now Chase Young. And some of the people around Ohio State think that Young is actually the best of those three. Um, you might remember when I was reading off the DL1s that Joey Bosa is yep. number two on that list. And Nick Bosa is number five. And there's people that yep. think that Chase Young is better than these two guys. Um, I think that the only thing potentially holding back Chase Young this year um, is snap count. Um, you know, and that's not something that we're going to know until they get in. Um, but I can't imagine a world where they give him less than two thirds of the snaps. You know, even if they rotate Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat, and Chase Young um, to, to kind of keep them fresh, you'd still think that Young is going to be in there probably two-thirds of the time, and I would have to guess he's going to be in there on all likely passing downs. Um, I, I think that Chase Young is going to be an absolute beast. So I've got... Yeah, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. No, no. I was just agreeing with you there. I think that it's, it's just that's a great value to get right now. Oh, yeah. I, I would have to guess that Chase Young... For me, I, I think that this is someone that could probably end up as a DL2. Maybe even if everything breaks well, potentially a DL1, and you're getting him at a DL3 cost, which is pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Um, so I've got one more thing to kind of add to that, just to, to help people kind of understand. This will give you some other potential values as well. So who would you say the best defensive line in the NFL is? Probably the 49ers. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons that the 49ers are considered the best defensive line in the NFL is that the last few years, they've had five first round picks on their defensive line, which is insane. Um, so last year it was Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, uh, Nick Bosa, D Ford, and they had DeForest Buckner who they traded to the Niners. Yeah. They traded Buckner to the Niners, and then they used the pick to take Javon Kinlaw, another defensive lineman in the first round. Um, so they still have five first round defensive linemen. What people don't realize is that Washington very quietly has been doing the same thing. Washington yeah. has five first round defensive linemen, um, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, yeah. and Ryan Kerrigan. Um, I and, think and, a sec and a second round pick. Ryan Anderson went in the second round of 2017. So this, uh, this defensive line um, is absolutely stocked. Um, and I think that you could probably find values for any of the guys on this defensive mm -hmm. line. Um, if you're someone that does, uh, you know, defensive team drafting, I, I really think that this is a great sleeper, the Washington defense, um, you know, because th this is a team that could really get after the passer pretty fast. Yeah. All right. We're going to go over to some linemen that we are a little lower on. Actually, you know what? Really quickly, let's talk about just a couple defensive tackles that were higher on. Um, I'm sure. going to start with Justin Simmons. So Justin Simmons was a rookie last year, a defensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans coming out of Mississippi State. Uh, he had a, a pretty rough injury that he was recovering from last year, so he only played half of the year. Didn't have great numbers, two sacks, uh, only four tackles for loss. But this is someone with a pretty high pedigree that I think um, – you know, another year removed from a significant injury, 
um, I think could be uh, a, a very quick riser for defensive tackles. I like Justin Simmons a lot as a later pick. Yeah, for me, I think the one defensive tackle that I love and I'm a huge fan of is Kenny Clark with the Packers. Um, he's 26 ECR right now. I mean, he just does everything well. And, and this is kind of surprising, but over the past three seasons, he's had 55 or more total tackles, and he's had six sacks the last each of the last two years. Those are stats that you typically do not find from a defensive tackle. Um, so for me, I think if, I, if I'm targeting a defensive tackle or I need to draft one, Kenny Clark's my pick. Excellent. Um, now we can move into some people that we're a little lower on. So I'll kick it off. Um, as you know, I like to get a little aggressive with these. Um, so I've got a couple people. Uh, well, actually, it looks like all three of mine are um, D- DL1s. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, J.J. Watt. Uh, once again, this has nothing to do with talent. This is like what I was talking about with Alvin Kamara and Chris Carson. I'm lower on J.J. Watt because of the injury risk um, and the cost. So over the last four years, um, J.J. Watt has played in eight or less games three of those four years. Um, He started out his career being an Iron Man. He played in every game, um, but his body and football have not agreed with each other in recent years. Um, And he's only had one year where he played 16 games. Now, to be fair to him, the year he played 16 games, he had 16 sacks. Um, So the upside is still tremendous with J.J. Watt. Um, But for a DL1 price tag, I'm out on J.J. Watt. Yeah, I think that, again, if you you draft a player, you want him to be on the field. And J.J. Watt just hasn't been able to show that yet, at least recently. So what's a player that you're a little lower on, Brandon? So the first one that jumps out to me is Justin Houston Houston with the Colts. Um, and I think the reason why, at least for me, is that he is an older D-end. I know that he kind of had a career resurgence with the Colts last year, moving to a D-end versus being kind of more of an outside linebacker. But for me, I think the reason why I'm not as high is I think I can get the same production later in, in, in the draft. And, and I think one guy that jumped out to me, so right now, they have Justin Houston as um, defensive end 11. He has very similar sack totals to like a Mario Addison, who right now is DN 35. Um, and I looked it up, and I believe he's Justin Houston's had like nine or more sacks like each of the last four years or three out of the last four years. Mario Addison has done nine or more sacks over that same stretch. So it's in terms of sack totals, it's almost the same amount of production. And you're getting you could get a Mario Addison much later. So I'd rather take a Mario Addison over like a Justin Houston earlier in drafts. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, do you have another uh, D lineman that you're lower on? Yeah. Yep. So another one that jumped out to me was Calais Campbell. Again, I think this is someone where we talk about good football player may not be becoming a good fantasy football player and the reason is is he's going from um the jaguars 4-3 defense he now goes to the ravens which has a very good defense but they also run a 3-4 defense so now his role and his responsibilities are going to drastically change being that 3-4 d end and similar to houston he's also a little older um and I don't think he's going to produce like he has in previous years. 
Yeah, I like that. I mean, so that goes back to what you were talking about in terms of tips earlier, which is, you know, looking at those defenses and understanding if there's a change in responsibility. Um, this is a great one to highlight as somebody that might have um, a change in responsibility that then decreases their production. Yep. How about you? Who do you got? Uh, so I have Sam Hubbard right now. He is um, right at the back end of DL1 status. Uh, he's DL number 12. Um, I just think that you're drafting Sam Hubbard at his ceiling. So last year, yeah. Sam Hubbard had eight and a half sacks. It was the second year in the NFL, and he had a tremendous amount of tackles, 76 tackles. That's hard to do for a defensive lineman. I don't see that happening again. Um, he could certainly repeat the sack numbers, uh, but I think that the tackle numbers are going to be hard for him to repeat, you know, especially as Cincinnati's trying to revamp um, that linebacking unit and they brought in Von Bell as well. I just don't see Sam Hubbard um, racking up those same numbers. If I could get Sam Hubbard as my second defensive end, I'm in. Yeah. But as my um, first defensive lineman, I'm, I'm out on Sam Hubbard. Yeah, yeah, that all makes sense to me. I think that. I think the Bengals defense just as a whole is just very interesting to me and probably one that I might not be drafting many players in, but I'm going to be watching very closely over those first couple of weeks to see who steps up. Oh, I agree. You know, we're going to be talking about linebackers coming up, and I think there's a lot of very interesting, intriguing linebacking players because someone mm -hmm. has to have production there, but it's yeah. still very, <laughs> very murky as to who that's going to be um, for Cincinnati. So yeah. we talked earlier about the San Francisco defensive line, um, and one of the players that I want to bring up is DeForest Buckner. So DeForest Buckner was probably the best player on that San Francisco defensive line, he was traded, um, and I, San Fran got a really nice haul for him. Um, and now he's the centerpiece of the Indianapolis defensive line. Um, but that old defensive line he was on, as I mentioned, had five first round picks on it. Um, he is the only first round pick, I think, on his new defensive line, unless Houston was. Um, he's, he's going from a line where he played with Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, D Ford, and now he is on a line with Karoka Ture, great, is that Grady Stewart, and Justin Houston. Um, my point, of course, being, Grover Stewart. Uh, Grover Stewart, thank you. Um, my point, of course, being that I, I think that at his current cost, um, with as high as he's going, uh, DL11, um, that makes me a little nervous. I think that's another ceiling play. I, I don't question the player. He's a phenomenal player, and he could potentially put those numbers up again. Um, yeah. But he's going to see a lot of attention, um, not the same attention that he got on that San Francisco defense. I think you might see a step back in production. Yeah, me and you are both aligned on, on this one here. I, I think that he, DeForest Buckner, he, I mean, he was coming off two years in a row. He was like a top 10 defensive lineman, and, and – where he's going to be drafted, I think there's some uncertainty that, like, how does he transition to a Colts defense with not as much talent around him? For where he's being drafted, like, that's just too much of a concern for me to be willing to to go and grab him where he's going. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a great call on DeForest Buckner. I'm probably not going to have a lot of him this year. No, not unless he slips into the, you know, 
that DL two yeah. range. Um, there, yeah. I could I could see being willing to pull the trigger, and you know he's certainly still one of the better defensive tackles out there. Um, but I I wouldn't be going high for DeForest Buckner um, in my drafts by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And what's one last name that you have for us, Brandon, that you are a little lower on? Yeah, I, I mean I think this is more of just a feel for me, but I'm not very high on, on Grady Jarrett right now. Um, he's going. Let me just make sure I see this. Um, Twenty. He's ECR twenty-two. He's defensive tackle number four. Um, I just where he's going. I, I'm not very confident in, in taking him there and him producing at that level. Again, I'm a big fan of Kenny Clark, who's D tackle number five. I mean, going a little further down, you look at someone like Fletcher Cox, who's coming off a down year, but I think he provides more upside than going with Grady Jarrett. Um, so for me, I think that's um, that's the one guy that I'm probably a little lower on. Great. So that wraps up um, this segment in terms of talking about running backs and defensive linemen. Uh, so next week, I think we're going to be going into the wide receivers. Are we doing wide receivers and strategy? Do you remember, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to go wide receivers strategy. Just there's a lot of wide receivers. We may end up spending the whole hour talking about wide receivers. Very deep (laughs) position. Um, So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the receivers we like. And then we're going to do a deep dive um, and talk more about what strategy looks like when you're trying to draft both defensive players and offensive players in the same draft, um, which should be a lot of fun. So we'll be hoping that you tune in for that one. Um, And for Brandon and me, thank you for tuning in this week. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon.